0: Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. If you're from the United States and you received the kind of historical education that most American students receive, you're probably not overly familiar with the War of 1812, You probably know it happened. You probably know that it was the United States and Britain who were fighting. You might know a few other things, like the War of 1812 is where the Star-Spangled Banner comes from. You might know that the British dunked upon the newly independent United States and burned the White House. But that might be it. We don't talk about this war. In most American historical education this war gets glossed over. And in the story that the United States tells about itself, the War of 1812 just isn't even a factor. It's briefly acknowledged and then skipped. It's right there in the name. Lots of wars have really evocative, really interesting names, like the Wars of the Roses, the Three Kingdoms War, the War of Spanish Succession. World War I used to just be known as the Great War, The War of 1812, it doesn't get a name like that. It doesn't even get a name like the Russo-Japanese War, which would tell you who was fighting. No, it gets a label. The War of 1812 is a mere designation. It's boring, and there's nothing about that mere designation that invites curiosity or exploration. It just seems to say, this happened, let's move on. It's also not even an accurate designation since the war took place 1812 to 1815, but we'll get to that. During this series, we are not going to gloss over the War of 1812. We're not going to merely skip it or just acknowledge its existence and then go right to the Civil War. We're not going to do what American textbooks and American history classes do. We are not going to do what the prevailing narrative about American history does. In this series... We are going to take a deep dive into America's most ignored conflict. Which, by the way, was the first time America ever declared war. Uh, The United States has only ever declared war five times. War of 1812, Mexican-American War, Spanish-American War, World War I, World War II. That's it. Five declared wars. Man, we are such a peaceful people, aren't we? But anyway... I want to explore something that's unexplored. I want to look at something that's looked away from. And I want to take a deep dive into something that all too often is unexamined. This is the first episode of a series about the War of 1812. A series which I initially thought would be four episodes, and is going to be longer than four episodes. This will not be on the level of the Italian fascism or the North Korea series. However, it will be of a length that is greater than four, but hopefully less than a dozen. We'll see. But in this initial episode, I want to talk about the surface-level causes of the War of 1812, and we are going to talk about deeper causes for it next episode. But as you might gather from its boring label of a name, the War of 1812 happened or at least started, in 1812, which was a rather tumultuous time for Europe. During that time, the newly formed French Empire, headed by Napoleon Bonaparte, was invading basically everybody, putting together a giant army, using this newfangled technology called artillery, killing everyone left and right, toppling regimes, installing puppet governments. It was a whole thing. And you know what we're not going to talk about in this series? We're not going to talk about the Napoleonic Wars, because that would make this way too long. What's important for our purposes is that they were happening. And the Napoleonic Wars were the reason for Britain to make some fairly dramatic policy changes with regards to the Royal Navy. And these two big policy changes were restrictions on maritime trade and impressment of sailors. And both of them play into the origins of the War of 1812. I'll talk about restrictions on maritime trade first. In 1807, Britain attempted to disrupt France's access to international trade with other parties. They issued a decree called the Orders in Council, and that banned France from trading with Britain, which seems logical. If you're at war with somebody and you're trying to get rid of their government, you're probably not going to trade with them. It also banned French trade with British allies. Kind of a big move for Britain to say who its allies could and could not trade with, but hey. And it also banned French trade with neutral parties. Which, wow, Britain is just coming out and saying, hey, countries that have nothing to do with this conflict, you are no longer allowed to trade with France. One of those countries was the United States. Despite France being under new management, you know, with Napoleon, the U.S. and France got along pretty well. There was a real history there. After all, France had helped the United States during the American Revolution, and even though France had a revolution of its own at the end of the 1700s, they kept up cordial relations, and they also had a big mutually beneficial deal at the beginning of the 1800s. You might recall that one of the U.S.'s biggest early expansions the Louisiana Purchase, was a deal with France, with specifically Napoleonic France. And granted, that very large deal didn't include or even consider the Native Americans who were actually living on the huge tracts of land that the United States bought off its ally. But the point is, these two countries got along well. There was transatlantic trade. There was trade in the Caribbean. There was buying and selling of Native American land that neither country truly had the right to buy and sell. Stuff was great. Until 1807, when the British Empire decreed the orders of council and American merchants who showed up at French ports would be greeted by a British blockade. You know in Phantom Menace, the bad Star Wars movie, where there's a whole bunch of the Trade Federation ships outside Naboo keeping people from going in or out? It was like that, but with boats. And it took a lot of ships to do this. The Royal Navy increased dramatically to over 600 ships at the start of the 1800s. And to crew those ships, Britain took on a policy of impressment. And impressment is probably the issue most associated with the War of 1812. But I do want to emphasize again that this episode is about surface level causes of the war, not deeper root causes of the war. But impressment is basically how the Royal Navy got more guys. Despite what you might think from the name, it did not involve naval recruiters going around and impressing would-be sailors and making them think, Wow, the Royal Navy sounds truly impressive. I am so impressed with your potential salary, your medical benefits, your dental plan, and your generous profit-sharing model that I am going to join now. You have wowed me with facts and arguments, and this strategy of impressment has turned me into a sailor man. No, impressment was not that at all. The Royal Navy would never do anything like try to attract sailors by raising their salary or having a slick marketing strategy to stoke people's patriotic fervor and join the Navy. No, instead they just grabbed guys and said, surprise asshole, you're on a boat. That's basically it. If you were a guy and you were a British citizen and the Royal Navy wanted you to be on a boat, say hi to your new job. It was the draft, but with boat guys instead of land guys. And the Royal Navy, when it needed more boat dudes to do boat stuff, would just steal those dudes either from convenient port cities or from merchant boats. Now, this practice sometimes included the impressment of American sailors. And that's where we start running into some problems. Plenty of British sailors following American independence became American sailors. That modern notions of citizenship and documentation were not really formed in the ways that we think of them. Many sailors did have papers saying where they were from, but that was hardly universal. Plenty of sailors following the American Revolution simply decided to be Americans. And plenty of ships in the American Merchant Marine were all too happy to have the new labor. And a lot of these sailors didn't necessarily think of this as a big shift in identity in the way that we would think of a shift from British to American or some other citizenship. They were sailors first and foremost, and were getting a better deal in the Merchant Marine than in the Royal Navy. But the Royal Navy would have none of that. The Royal Navy was happy to take whoever it could legally take. And there were two high-profile instances where American and British vessels actually exchanged fire over this issue. The first one was in 1807. There was an American frigate, the Chesapeake, that was fired upon by a British warship called the Leopard. The Leopard was looking for what they considered to be British deserters. They caught the Chesapeake by surprise, fired a few broadsides at the American ship, killed three sailors, and injured several more. When the crew of the Leopard boarded the Chesapeake, they found four sailors that they could prove had indeed been eligible for impressment by the Royal Navy. They took them prisoner and hanged them for desertion. The Chesapeake Leopard Affair, as it was later called, sparked outrage among Americans, up to and including the then-President Thomas Jefferson, After all, this was a British ship not just finding some American sailors in a port, rounding them up and putting them on a ship. This was a British warship firing upon an American vessel, forcibly boarding it, taking the crew, and then hanging them at the end of a rope until they were dead. This was an affront to national dignity. And Jefferson wasn't just enraged by the Chesapeake Leopard Affair itself. He was also enraged because... The British officials that he communicated with expressed absolutely nothing like contrition. They didn't even offer the barest apologies for what they had done. To them, firing upon and boarding an American ship, then taking four crew members, and then killing them, that was their right. Jefferson responded with an embargo against the British Empire in 1807. This embargo was intended as a response to Britain's habit of stealing American guys and in one instance firing upon an American ship, but it was not successful. The embargo hurt Britain somewhat, but it also severely damaged the American economy. And just two years later in 1809, Congress repealed the embargo. However, it would be only two years later when yet another incident at sea would inflame American political passions. This was in 1811. In May of 1811, a British ship called the Guerriere stopped an American ship called the Spitfire, which is a cool name for a boat. And it took one American citizen that they could demonstrate was eligible for impressment by the Royal Navy. This American sailor, by the way, also had documentation proving that he was a legal citizen of Maine, But that didn't matter to the Royal Navy. After de Gourier stopped the Spitfire and stole one of its dudes, the American Navy dispatched a frigate called the President to hunt that ship down. This aggression would not stand. So the President started hunting for de Gourier up and down the coast of North Carolina and eventually found a British ship. They believed it to be their quarry and unfortunately it wasn't it was an entirely different british ship called the little belt but the president believing that this other ship the little belt was de Guriere, opened fire and at the end of a 15-minute battle nine british sailors were dead and several more were injured an american ship and a british ship had suffered a breakdown of communications, had exchanged fire again, and Gourier, the ship that had stolen an American guy, was still at large. Following the incident, which became known as the Little Belt Affair, American and British officials argued incessantly about how this got out of hand, how this got fouled up, who shot first, whether anyone provoked the attack, and whose fault it was. Particularly in the American press and within the American political class, this was yet another incident where British maritime arrogance could not be forgiven. Even though, in this instance, with the Little Belt, uh, this honestly probably was on the Americans. What with a warship attacking a sloop, not a good look. And you might be wondering, hey, what happened to the Guerriere, the ship that actually stole a guy? Well, we'll get there. Uh, They show up later on. This is just episode one of a multi-part series. However, impressment, trade, and conflict at sea was, again, only surface-level causes of the War of 1812. And during this episode, I've talked quite a bit about British practices of impressment and limiting maritime trade, and you might actually kind of feel like the Americans did at the start of the 1800s. You might actually be thinking, My God! the arrogance of the British Empire. Bossing around neutral countries, impressing American sailors. Obviously, this is all their fault. Obviously, they started the war, yes? Well, no. It's much more complicated than that. This is not just a simple incident of America defending itself for its national honor. See, the US also had major expansionist tendencies during this time period. And war hawks in the U.S. saw conflict with their old colonial masters as an opportunity. And incidents like the Chesapeake Leopard Affair and the Little Belt Affair were a chance to move the needle politically, to bring more people into a coalition that would be in favor of a war with Britain, and give belligerent factions in the United States the opening they needed to expand, to expand, both into Native American land and very possibly launch a full-blown invasion of Canada. Next episode, we're going to talk about deeper causes for the War of 1812 and the United States' ambitions to use the war to start an empire of its own. As always, we are on Apple Podcast. You should give us stars and reviews. We are also on other podcasting networks like Stitcher. Go there and also give us stars and reviews. Those are really helpful for other people discovering the show. I am on social media. I am on Twitter, at Joe Streckert. Also on Facebook, facebook.com weirdhistorypodcast. Once again, my book, Storied in Scandalous, Portland, Oregon. It is out. It is in stores. I am doing a live reading uh, on March 22nd at Powell's in downtown Portland, Oregon. Please do come see me. Powell's, March 22nd. Buy a book. I'll sign a book. I'll answer your questions. Come say hi. Talk to you next time. Bye.